Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is John Lawrence. John is a CEO of One Freedom. One Freedom is a holding company that includes commercial roofing, a retaining wall company, and a concrete paper manufacturer to name a few. One Freedom has been busy acquiring new businesses as they have an official goal of acquiring one per quarter for the next 10 years. How is that madness possible, you might ask? Well, John, as the entrepreneur and business leader he is, has a wealth of experience of building successful businesses and helping others achieve their entrepreneurial dreams as well. With his expertise in business strategy, marketing, and leadership, John has been able to create multiple profitable ventures. One Freedom uh, and its team is dedicated to creating value by implementing proven processes and strategies to drive growth and maximize profitability. So with all that said, John, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I need to get that script from you uh, when you're done because that sounded great. <laughs> awesome. No problem. I'll, I'll send it right over to you. That's not a problem. So I uh, I gave the quick and dirty of it, but tell, tell us about you. What's the history of John? How, where, where did... One freedom come from? What's the history? How'd you get into the uh, construction industry? And uh, obviously now a holding company. So tell tell us your tale. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of the the quick story is that for me it started cutting grass when I was 13 years old. You know, that's uh, that's probably where a lot of my work ethic came from is uh, is getting addicted to being able to have some money in my pocket to to buy Nintendo games. I think that's where it really started. <laughs> what was the first game? What was the first Nintendo game you bought? Oh, you know, man, I mean, the first, I mean, the first one I was just crazy about was The Legend of Zelda. Okay. I mean, okay. I uh, I had, you know, fortunately, I, I had to buy a lot of the, some of the toys that I really wanted because I only got gifts at Christmas and birthdays. Okay. And it wasn't extravagant. So, uh, you know, if I ever wanted something, uh, you know, throughout the year, I had to come up with ways to, to make some money. So... Okay. Got it. Uh, for me, it was cutting grass. You know, I got in construction, you know, basically in the wintertime, you know, trying to still make money when grass wasn't growing and, uh, you know, paid my way through college, you know, just working construction and cutting grass. And and, you know, when I got out, I just uh, couldn't. It was like the call of the wild you know, hearing those hammers going. <laughs> I never could let it go. So I, I did like the idea of uh, going into an office and wearing a suit and tie every day. So I, I went into construction. And so it's, it's been, it's, it's kind of my, my, my shtick. I, it's hard to let it go. <laughs> I've got some other businesses that are not in construction, but, but you know what? It's still, uh, for me, it's still kind of my, my starting place. Got it. Got it. So uh, tell us about One Freedom. Yeah, no, I, uh, 
you know, one freedom started on my front porch. Um, I had, I owned a great or owned part, part owner of a grading and excavating company and uh, ended up selling my interest in it. And, um, you know, I was trying to, at that moment, a kind of a crisis of identity, like, you know, what am I going to do now for the rest of my life? I, I've got some money. I don't want to retire. You know, what do I want to do? You know, I had tons of phone calls asking people to, that wanted to hire me. I thought about doing a startup again. Uh, I thought about getting consulting, but, but one freedom kind of represented to me, you know, what is it, the one freedom that everybody's chasing? And sometimes, you know, even when you're a business owner, you still feel like you're imprisoned by that company. You, you start that business hoping it's going to lead you to freedom of, of, of money, freedom of time. You're your own boss. But then all of a sudden you get caught in this hamster wheel and you feel like you're imprisoned to your business. And so I was like, you know what, whatever I do, which at that point I didn't know, I just knew that I really wanted to have a lot more freedom in my life. And so I kind of named my company one freedom just so I would never forget that. I love that. I love, I'm all about them. Like, Hey, I'm going to tattoo this on me or I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to wear a mm -hmm. piece of jewelry or I'm gonna, whatever it is. Right. To remind yeah. you of that thing. Uh, so to yeah. name your company after that thought is awesome. Like I love when uh, uh, the story uh, like is that, like that's what it is. That's super cool. Yeah. So, you know, John, since you're, Essentially, one freedom is the concept, and you're acquiring companies. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where the thinking came from and talk about even your first acquisition and kind of your learning, you know, kind of your learning curve across the board, how and a little bit how is it different from starting your own company? Yeah, I mean, so I think a lot of people were kind of asking me, was that, you know, was I going to start another business? And I had done a startup before and knew how much energy and effort that was going to take. I just didn't have the energy for it. I mean, you start off, you know, in this case, we, you know, you, you don't start off as one person and try to grow it to, you know, 10, 20, 30 employees. It's a long, hard journey to get to the point where you're making traction. And so it kind of was like, well, hey, instead of trying to start a company from scratch, you know, why don't you think about maybe possibly buying an existing profitable company? And so I think sometimes being able to go in and find businesses that are, you know, either the owners wanting to retire or they're burnout or, you know, sometimes there could be a death or divorce or, you know, just a breakup. You know, um, I mean, the first company I got out of, it was me and my partner. We broke up. <laughs> and so, you know, there, there's there's tons of companies out there that could be purchased if they knew how to sell it or knew who they could sell it to or who they could partner with. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm kind of finding some traction. And like I said, we've, we've got a total of four companies right now and our goal is to, to, to buy one a quarter. And, and uh, while well, at the same time, I've still got to hold on to, to, to some of my freedoms that I've listed out to make sure that I'm not just this shell of a man that has no time for anybody because I'm burnt out. <laughs> so, okay. Obviously you need to have some sort of system in place to be able to do what you're doing because otherwise it's madness. So you try to go mm -hmm. through every single company and kind of start all over again in trying to figure out what's going on with that company. Right. Do you yeah. have a process 
Where do you start? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and real quick, I think your your earlier question is, you know, what is it like with your, what have you learned from your first company to now? Every time it feels like it's my first one because <laughs> our process is still, you know, we're building a plane while we're flying it. And I made a lot of mistakes in my first acquisition and I'm going to make a lot of mistakes too on the next one I do. They're going to be fewer and hopefully they're not the same mistakes because I'm continuing to evolve and say, hey, I, I wish I would have done this different. I wish I would have thought about this or asked this or been prepared, prepared for that moment. So I'm constantly, I'm constantly learning. And yes, we do have a process. Most of it is these lessons that I have learned from being a business owner myself. And when I walk into a company day one, a lot of times I'm able to under, see some of the very mistakes that I had made that I learned from and some of the mistakes that I'm still kind of in active recovery <laughs> <laughs> of trying to get trying to get better and better at but but yeah i mean we're we're trying to we we have a process for for how we run our businesses and we kind of unfold those you know from the beginning and and now we have a process of what acquisitions look like not just how to run the business once we have it but what does our acquisition process look like um you know we've right now we've got a a pretty substantial map of making sure that we're we're following these things these order and then when, when something changes or we, we learn something or wish we would have done something better or, or kind of lick our wounds, we, we want to go back to that uh, document and say, man, what, what could we have possibly have done that could have prevented this pain? So the this is the, the pendulum, right? Like you do a thing wrong, right? It's, oh, I shouldn't have done it that way. And then you overcorrect, right? And then you're like, yes. oh, that didn't work either. Oh, here's the happy spot. Like this is the yeah. spot that actually makes sense. So what is what is the acquisition? What is it? Assuming you're willing to give the secret the secrets out here, John. What what is the acquisition process? What does it look like? Yeah. Well, I'm you know, and so real quick, you talk about that pendulum. Just to hit on that, you know, businesses create processes all the time to where there's no process to where they they go way too far. And like I know you're in the construction space, and I like to use the example of you know pre, uh, subcontractor prequalification. You know, yeah. if you're a GC. And you have no process for vetting your employees. <laughs> You're just like, hey, come on board. I'm not checking for insurance. I'm not checking for anything else. That creates all sorts of problems and pain, right? Yeah. Then you go to those other guys that are way so sophisticated to where it takes three days to fill out their prerequisite form where they want, you know, the last 15 years of history, blood samples, you know, right. DNA. Right. They want it all. And you're halfway through trying to fill that out. And you're like, forget this. If I can if I got to, you know, if it's that challenging and complicated, I'm not even going to bother. So I guess that process, you really want to make it as effective, you know, as, as strenuous as possible, but as easy as possible to where, hey, I don't want 16 pages on a process, but I don't, but I probably want somewhere more than three or four different steps just to make it effective. So it's the, the process isn't. Find company, talk to company, buy company. That's not the process. No, no, <laughs> no, okay. no. It, you know, and you know, we, we have a process even for for how you identify companies that might be interested. From, I guess you know, to get specific, I mean, you know, I think my, my first company I found, um, I reached out to my existing insurance agent. You know, yeah. I was in construction. He, I'm sorry, not insurance agent, uh, accountant. I was like, you know, accountants are usually the first to know if a company 
owner is wanting to retire. So I reached out to my accountant um, down here in Nashville, Tennessee, and said, hey, uh, I'm wanting to buy a company. Do you have any clients or know of any companies that are looking at the owners wanting to retire? Because I love to talk to them. And he's like, yeah, I, I can think of two. And I was like, great. Do you think you can reach out and make an introduction and see if they're interested? Because I love taking them to coffee or lunch, you know? And so periodically I reach out in my process, whether I'm talking to insurance agents, accountants, friends, pretty much I'm, I make everybody know that I'm in the business of it. And I want to be one of the first people top of mind, at least on my market, of uh, letting people know that I'm, I'm, in, I'm open. This is what I do. What are some of the, when, you, when you're talking to the accountants and when you're looking at uh, really that department, what do you see issues with? Because obviously, okay, so you're buying a profitable company, but, you know, that isn't the only magic is just, is it profitable? You're probably looking at some details that are probably mis- maybe mistakes or things that are overlooked. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit more just from the, let's say the accounting or operational side, what you're looking at? Yeah. Yeah. So let's just say that you, you found a company that, that looks interesting to you. You've, you've sent them a letter of intent, which is basically, Hey, you know, usually you send out some NDA form that says, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to disclose your name, any of your details. I cannot benefit from this peeking behind the wizard's curtain, as you want to call it um, into everything that's going on in your operations. But, but, but I'm serious about buying your company. So in order to do that, I'm going to have to have access to, some sensitive information, some information that even some of the employees don't have access to. And so that period is in the M&A world or mergers and acquisitions world is called due diligence. And that's kind of where you go through and you are trying to make sure that you know what you're getting into. Now, at the very beginning, talk about one of my mistakes, that was kind of like, go find all the bad stuff. (laughs) Make sure that you know everything bad that's about this company and I've had to kind of reframe my mindset to say, no, I'm looking for this is my opportunity investigation. And, and I kind of had to reframe it because I didn't see problems in their operations. I saw opportunities of how I could grow the company beyond what they're currently at. I didn't see liabilities that, I, that they were exposed to. I saw liabilities that I could possibly shield by having some better insurance or having some better processes to prevent this. So during that, what they call due diligence, which is my opportunity investigation, you know, I had to reframe my mind and says, hey, I'm looking for opportunities. I'm not looking for dirt. And it gets you more excited to where, man, I can't wait to buy this company because look at all these opportunities I've uncovered as opposed to, man, I'm not sure I want to buy this company because look at all this bad stuff I've discovered. Usually by the time I do an LOI, I'm wanting that company. I'm excited about it. I got to make sure that I know what I'm getting into and I'm making sure that I'm paying a fair price for it. But chances are there there's, you know, if I was running it, I'd be doing things a lot different. And there's a lot of low hanging fruit out there of opportunities of, of how you, I could, once I own this kid can grow it, can reduce some of the expenses, increase some of the profits, you know, improve some of the culture. And it, it's, it's still going to be a grind. It ain't easy. Just because I write them down doesn't mean they're going to happen. It's going to take a lot of energy and effort. But that's kind of what our um, due diligence slash opportunity investigation, you know, looks like on the front end. So, so you're taking what might be negatives and mm-hmm. you're changing them into positives. But why are they opportunities investigation, right? 
and I'm, and the reason why I'm asking is, are you financing the acquisition through debt or are you, uh, are you self-financing these acquisitions? Yes. So it, you know, the, the answer is yes, because yes to everything you just said, some of it is uh, traditional debt um, recourse financing, whether you get it from a bank um, or some sort of um, lending institution. I haven't done SBA yet. Some of it's owner financing. Um, a large portion of it is, you know, hey, you know, telling the owner, hey, you know, this is a great place to put your money. I'm going to give you a, a, a decent interest rate on this. So instead of putting this into the I always like to have some element of owner financing because I want to make sure that I'm kind of connected to the, the owner for a couple years just to make sure that we have a good handoff, that they're advocating for our success and that we keep a positive relationship. Some of it's going to be owner financing. I mean, sorry, not owner financing. Um, I might get private equity from now that I've had one or two of these gone successful. I've, I've had some people in my network reach out and say, man, I'd love to be a part of it. Can I, can I throw some money at some of this, some of these opportunities? And so I don't think we're going to be short of that. I've thrown some of my own money at it. I've, you know, I think I took a HELOC out of my house one time <laughs> to help find it. So uh, you got to get creative and say that there's more than just one way to, to skin a cat. And I think there's a lot of different ways you can term and structure a deal to make something happen. But the, but the most important thing is that I'm excited about it. I'm happy with my terms and that owner is happy for the price that they're getting. And they're happy about the terms because if they're excited and I'm excited, then that's the right step, the right first step in a business to have that owner that owner piece because that I feel like a lot of times especially money this could be a sales discussion there could be a lot of things when one side is just I don't care I don't want to know I just mm -hmm. give me my money and see you later like that oh it never works the way you want it to like it's yeah. it's the I just want to dust my hands and not care about this thing anymore that always kind of leaves a lot of mystery uh, for, for lots of pieces. Uh, so I think mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense that having, even if it's not the whole, right, if that's not the whole way, having a piece of that to have that owner to new owner experience. Yeah. And it's difficult because I'm not going to, we start off happy. We, we're at the closing table. We're smiling. We're shaking hands. We're hugging. I usually get the, the, the spouses together. We'll have like a big, a big dinner with, uh, with everybody. Um, in your awesome owner. backyard. In my awesome backyard. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it's been challenging to maintain that. My desire is to maintain a good relationship. But there's it's like from the get go, gosh, you know, nature and our human nature and our sin nature is just wanting to just, just unravel it to where I've had to have, uh, you know, we, we had a one time one of our employees was bad mouthing the ex owner, you know, and it got back to him and the owner was pissed. You know, and he was upset and I was like, I got to all hands on deck. I got to get this resolved because I cannot afford for this relationship to go sour. And so you had to keep you know, you really have to spend a lot of energy and effort to make to maintain a healthy relationship. So it's not something that's going to happen just because you gave him a fair price. It is actually something you're going to have to invest in every day <laughs> from that point forward because it's so easy to get off track and derailed. Yeah, uh, that's that. I mean, that's like all relationships. If it's a marriage, yeah. if it's a friendship, if it's whatever, right? Like that's you, you got to keep working at it. Yeah. So you're obviously doing all of this. So correct me if I'm wrong here. 
but you're doing, you're making tweaks afterwards in order to shorten the amount of time that it takes to sort of repay the business, yes. right? Right. What else do you do? Like, what are little things that you can do or you do that are sort of, and what's your thinking behind where you, where you focus in the business to help fix it? Well, I mean, it's a great question. And, and these are things that I've, I've dealt with, but you know, the, uh, the, most of the time when I'm ready to buy a company, that owner is ready to sell. You know, I got to make sure that they're a motivated seller, which means they're ready to do it. And a lot of times they're, they're, they're tired and they're burnout. And a lot of times that tired and burnout and ready to sell is because they're, they've been resisting some necessary changes in their business. And, and it's, it's something that I've dealt with myself. I mean, the, 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 the truth about most companies and most business leaders of companies is that often, you know, they, regardless of what they espouse that they want, they, they, they avoid the difficult decisions sometimes that need to be made. And, and those difficult decisions and difficult tasks often represent the future outcome that they want. But we have a tendency sometimes to change our desires, change our values, change all that stuff before we'll change our behavior. And so a lot of times in businesses, what, what I'm seeing as opportunities really is kind of behavior changes that are necessary to grow your business from where it is now to where you want to be in, in five or 10 years. And a lot of times that there's a, with a lot of growth that requires a lot of changes and difficult decisions and difficult tasks that, that you've got to be willing to change your behavior to get that company from point A to point B. And so the, I usually start there saying, hey, the best way for me to get a return on my investment is for this company to double in size in the next three years and three to five years, because that's going to be the best way for me to get my money back, my investment and at the same time, be able to make afford some of the changes that we're wanting to make here in the future. So I usually start with looking at some of these difficult changes and decisions that are necessary to be made in the company. So delegating tasks is one of those uh, one of those yeah. hard decisions. The way you talked about it in our uh, in our pre-interview was business weakness is merely a symptom of not making difficult decisions, right? Yes, right. And so. You, talk, you talked about a little bit about the, the toxic Dele employees. Yeah. Delegating yeah. is another, another one. Can you talk about these yeah. examples? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you know, delegating is, the, is, is, is usually the first one. You've got a business owner that's exiting and he's done everything from day one. And there's a lot of fear and holdout with saying, hey, I need to delegate some of my tasks to other people. Now, one of the one of the ways that I create freedom is I don't have an email. I don't have a company email address. You know, I'm not in the loop of some of these business decisions. My whole plan and the reason I can own more than one business is because I'm constantly delegating. And owners need to learn and business leaders need to learn to delegate because if they don't, they end up doing everything. They end up getting burnout. They, they have short fuses. And that's, you know, extremely necessary. And so. These owners, when they step out, a lot of times they they are selling it because they don't think that anybody in their company can run the company like they did. When often you have people right there in the trenches ready to step up to the leadership. And often, you know, when that owner leaves, I'm promoting somebody that's already there 
to take the job that they had. It's it's uh, when when you learn the power of delegating it, it, you realize that man, I have more time and more people can do more work, but it's going to require you to do two things that scares a lot of people. And I talk about these difficult tasks. You've got to take time to document and train. You've got to work on creating a process. Like if, hey, if I'm going to tell somebody how to take over the estimating for me, I need to have a process that I can teach and train <laughs> to somebody else. And when you show up and these people are like, oh, I, I just know what things cost. It's all up in here. You know, you, you don't have a process. And because it's all up in here, how do you ever transfer your brain to somebody else? You don't. And so therefore, you end up being the only person in the company that can estimate or the only person that can make a sales call or the only person that can um, run this piece of machinery or do this certain task. But but in that delegation, you learn I've got to trust people. I've got to train people and I've got to document and create processes. And sometimes that's not very fun. And you already know you don't have time in your day to do it. So now you've got to create time somehow to create space to make those processes. So a lot of times, a lot of times when you have an owner that is very embedded into the business, like kind of mm-hmm. you're explaining, a lot of times it's like owner-led sales, right? So that's, yes. that's a very common thing. It's their relationships that they've built. It's mm-hmm. you know, the way that they sell things that, that inherently is not written down anywhere. It's just, I, I do my thing. I go out there and yeah. I, I, sl- I slang sales, right? So mm-hmm. how do you, how, how do you uh, plug somebody in for that? Because like, that's a, one, it's a skill, right? Sales is a skill. But like mm-hmm. on top of that, it's like, it's the network that exists from that owner. How, how are you allowing like for new business, business development to happen? Mm-hmm. if that owner isn't going to be in place anymore. Yeah. I mean, I still got to nurture that network that the owner had. And mm-hmm. a lot of times we've, the marketing that those companies that we're purchasing do is, is, is word of mouth, you know, it, it is oh, yeah. reputation. <laughs> and so at that point, it's just, you know, my, my biggest strength I can say is, okay, they're expecting a certain level of business. We got to make sure that we deliver that. So I don't want to change and lower our standards. And as long as we continue to do what we say we're going to do, that network is maintained. And, you know, the owner obviously has to, the, the previous owner has to be involved in communicating to, to them saying, hey, everything's going to be the same. Because that's what everybody's afraid of. Everybody's afraid of change. Oh, new ownership. It's going to, they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to care anymore. They're not going to do the same quality work. It's going to not even be around in a while. I mean, you know, competitors will be saying that. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. So you've got to you've got to nurture that, but at the same time, you know, how do you plug somebody else in? You just it has to start with the belief that it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. The small businesses, and there's a stat out there. You know, one of the K, main KPIs for a lot of companies is revenue per employee. Mm-hmm. Um, in the service space, that that the uh, the average small business makes about a hundred thousand of revenue per employee. But as you go up the scale and you get larger, larger companies in that same space, they can get all the way up to 500,000 per, 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 per employee. So what that means is, is that the larger companies make more revenue per employee, mainly because they're very good at delegating and creating processes to where it takes less people to make more money. And so that makes sense, you know? And so, 
a lot of times with these small businesses, hey, you've got one guy that's, you know, doing the estimating, doing the sales, you know, doing the safety, doing whatever it is that, that's in that space. Well, good grief. You know, we got to grow this company and you have to have the belief to start with that says, hey, if I can teach to have somebody else come in here and do this, they're probably not going to be as good as the owner. They may not be as good as me, but I'm OK with them being 80 percent, you know, 80 percent as good as me. Because now I have freed up all that time or freed up all that time from somebody else. So now that person can specialize in this and they're going to get better, you know, and I got to make sure that number one, they have clear expectations of what they're expected to do. And then I'm holding them accountable to it or not me or, you know, whoever's in charge of the company. So what about other marketing and what about other VD? So like growth, especially you're trying to double up, right? Growth mm -hmm. and scalability. Yeah. generally cost money like that is, you know like yeah. they're they're when you break it down it's like to grow it's expensive and yes. obviously there's things you can do that are not as cost driven but like at the end of the day it's going to cost you more money to grow right so yes. what are some of the things that you put in place that, there so obviously you got a network that's already happening what are, mm -hmm. what are other marketing or bd initiatives that you put in place well you know you you said it right is that in order to grow it's cost money and so Every time you grow or when you decide, hey, I want to grow by 15, 20 percent this year, you know, what's going to fund that growth? Is this going to take money? And there's really only two simple answers. It's either going to be cash or it's going to be debt. It's either going to be money that you have borrowed to fund that or it's going to have to be some cash that you're going to have to take out of the business to help fund that growth. Often, you know, if you talk about one of the things right off the bat is. One of the processes these companies don't have is they don't have a good accounts payable process. So one of my key metrics is days that payables are outstanding. And it's basically it's just a simple thing that says, hey, when they spend a dollar, how long does it take? How many days does it take before they get that dollar back? Well, in some of these companies, you know, you're talking 60, 70, 80, 90 days, average days or payables are outstanding. Well, that's cash that I don't have. It's cash that has been spent. It's out. And so we create some processes in place to shorten that time, extend our AR time. Now we have more cash, we have better cash flow, and that cash flow is going to help us be able to say, can we afford to hire another employee to take this spot, to take on this additional responsibility that hopefully is going to help grow our company? So some of it is just you know, company funded cash by saying, hey, we need to reduce some of these expenses. Maybe it's time for us to make some small price adjustments, change our cash flow strategies so that we're getting cash quicker. We're, we're spending cash slower and we're able to 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 fund some of these things. No, uh, I, I it seems simple, right? This is always the thing where it's like, well, just get money faster because then you'll have more cash flow. Like that's it, it, yeah. and that allows you to do other things. It it, it, is, it is it is simple, but people don't do it. <laughs> so how do so? What are some things that you like? What would what does this process look like? I'm at a 90 day, right? Like that's that's the window that I currently have. How yes. do I get that to 60 or 45 or 30 days? Yeah. So, so first off, you got to look at your billing practices, and I know we're kind of getting into counting. Um, okay. we, you talked about my back. You talked about my back porch, right? Yep. Uh, because I, I that you know earlier, I got a bill yesterday for a concrete sidewalk today, which is today's like what March the what? Twenty seventh. Uh, March the twenty seventh. They poured that concrete in December, and I just now got that bill. 
You know, that's an extreme case. That's an extreme example, right? Sounds like a good company you should uh, pursue to acquire there, John. Uh, (laughs) You don't have to name any names, but uh, just something to think about. But but so I guess the question is, how quickly are you billing? You know, are are you billing like the day the work is done? Are you waiting a week? Are you waiting a month? Are you waiting two months? You've already spent that money because payroll was made. You're usually paying employees every week. But sometimes people wait to bill out. Like I got to calculate what this bill should be. And because they don't know what the bill should be, it, it doesn't get done immediately. So sometimes it's as simple as saying, I want to bill out as fast as humanly possible with the information that you have. The next thing is, is that are you sending, uh, you know, some of it's just just drip campaign. <laughs> like, hey, your, your bill's coming up. It's, it's, you know, send an email five days before it's due, letting them know that they can pay online. They can send us a check and, and just letting them know that bill's going to be due in five days. It's a simple email. You automate it. You don't even have to have a human press the button. And, you know, are you sending out statements? Are you sending out overdue notices? When somebody pays you, are you calling, is your department calling them and telling them, thank you for paying on time? You know, if if there's a behavior that you like, you got to reward it. Otherwise, it's just like, it's just like with employees. If somebody does something good, they pick up, they clean up the kitchen (laughs) in the office. You know, if you don't say thank you, you know, good luck. You're going to, in five months, it's going to be filthy. Well, it's because you didn't praise and recognize the behavior that you wanted. So, um, I mean, there's a, there's a list of them. I mean, if you got on and you got on ChatGPT and said, hey, how's <laughs> what are 30 ways I could uh, speed up my collection process? <laughs> it, I'm guaranteed it'll spit out anything better than I'm going to say. That actually brings communication in, into play here. So communication's a very under thought about piece of business, I feel like. Yes, a thing in in the SMB space, right? Like I feel yeah. like we lose the concept of oh, how in, we in what space? What's, of what space? Small, a uh, small, medium sized business, SMB. Okay. Right. So how we thank a, a client for paying us, right? Like that's a communication. Mm-hmm. How we thank an employee for for doing something that's not necessarily mm-hmm. in their uh, description, a job description. Uh, how we collaborate, right? It's all communication. It's all communication based. Yes. So what are what are some things? Obviously, you said calling, calling. What are other communication things that you you put in place when you walk in the door? Yeah, the number one problem with communication is the illusion that it occurred. It is <laughs> people a lot of times think that there's communication happening when it hasn't. And um, you know, I'll use I'll use a personal example and then I'll use a business example. You know, I had a good friend of mine come up and I think he was in a rough spot in his marriage. Right. And he comes up to me and he's kind of complaining. Right. But he's saying he's letting me know while complaining what's going on in his marriage, being very detailed about what's making him unhappy. Mm-hmm. And he gets done. And I'm like, have you told her that? Well, 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 well yeah, yeah, I think so. No, no, no. Did you tell her exactly the way that you just told me. Well, no, but she knows. And I'm like, you know, and if this if this happens in a marriage, mm-hmm. how much more is this happening in, in our businesses with the people that we work with, with the people that we work for? And so a lot of times when I, when I say, when I was talking about earlier that people avoid doing the difficult decisions and the difficult task, even if they know it's gonna have a better outcome, it's because it's not, it's not fun. It's not fun to have a difficult conversation. So a lot of times we'll avoid it. 
I, I bought, you know, when you, when you buy a company, they'll usually you're, you're talking about em, employees, you know, usually before you ever buy it, you hear about this person, man, I'm sorry about them. They're, they're, you know, just stay, stay away from them. I mean, they're, they're good at what they do, but I'm going to go ahead and apologize for their behavior, you know, or this person, man, gosh, I mean, they know what they're doing, but they just don't really do a whole lot. And you'll have these conversations coming from an owner talking about these undesirable behaviors in their company. And a lot of times they're easier having a conversation with me about it, but they haven't had those com- those difficult conversations with those employees because if they had things would change. And I think I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day where somebody said something that just resonated with me that nothing changes until it's communicated. <laughs> nothing will oh, change yeah. until it's, it's brought out. Well, uh, what is he, it? Nothing changes until the unsaid is said or uh, yeah, that was, unsaid uh, is spoken. Debara, yep, unsaid is spoken. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you have a behavior in, in an employee, whether they're toxic or they're not working hard or they're not or they're making a lot of mistakes, you got to have that conversation. If you want the future to look different, you want the future to start as soon as possible. So why delay it? Yes, there. If you sit there and say, I, I, you know. You know, sometimes uh, there's nothing more, you know, ambitious lies as I, I, I meant and I was going to talk to this person. But, man, the day got away from me. Mm. Uh, it just wasn't a priority. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, sometimes it's like I've literally in different times of my life, you know, been like, I need to talk to that person right now. And I'm going to stop what I'm doing and get in the car and I'm going to drive to this job site. I'm going to drive to this person's office. You know, I'm going to pick up the phone and talk to this customer that's unhappy or this customer that I'm unhappy with. But we got to get this out in the open because the best disinfectant is sunlight. And so a lot of times when we keep things in the dark and we want to ignore they're not there, that's when things fester and mold and grow. And it's just uh, you don't want to keep things in the dark. And so let's just bring it out into the open and talk about it. Now, your delivery has to be one that is not trying to ramrod your your way this isn't about trying to get my way this is trying to get resolved that goes through a lot of culture stuff hey everybody justin here thank you so much for listening to this episode as you know will and i are business nerds and love talking to leaders who've scaled their businesses using people process and technology if that's something that gets you all jazzed up too then do me a favor and hit the subscribe button don't forget to hit the little bell you get notified every time we drop a sweet new episode. And if you know somebody who'd be an awesome guest on the show, send them our way. Just go to buildandscale.net slash guest. Now, back to the episode. That goes through a lot of culture stuff. So you, and I know that you're not intimately in like working in the business all the time, but obviously a shift in ownership causes stirs for people, right? That's just yes. how it can yeah. happen. How, mm. how are you essentially, like how is culture being built there? And mm-hmm. is that culture, like, are you trying to like replicate culture everywhere? Or is it like, well, it's everywhere is unique. So like everywhere has their own kind of culture. Yeah. I mean, you know, so first off, you know, you can have, you and me could be talking right now. You've got your personality, you got my personality. And this meeting is going to have a certain type of personality. The group has a personality. Now you add somebody else in, it changes. 
You uh-huh. add somebody that's got more high energy, it changes. You take somebody away, it changes. So, so culture in the feel of the company is always evolving okay. because somebody's leaving. Guess what? The owner is leaving. Now that that might that's changing the personality of the group. Mm-hmm. Now immediately everybody's like, "What's changing?" Am I? Everybody's always afraid for how this is going to impact them. So obviously we've got to communicate. So just like you would do normal and say, "Listen." Here I am. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. I'm not in here to turn the company upside down its head. You know, so, you know, I might promise that something's not going to change for a couple weeks. And I might promise that things are going to change slow, but I can't promise that they're not going to change because I'd be lying. You know, but I'm not going to come in and do like Elon Musk did and fire half the the, the company force in the first uh, week. That might be, you know, maybe you need to cut overhead. I don't know, but I don't, right now I'm not into uh, distressed businesses acquisitions, Yeah. <laughs> but I imagine if I was, you know, maybe some of those things would change, but, but part of it is I got to make, I got to respect the culture and understand that the culture really comprises of the personalities of the people that are working there. And I'm always taking an account when I'm there, how does this feel? Is this, is this type of company where everybody's trying to like, expose everybody's mistakes and, and, and bring all the bad things to me. You know, I mean, you'd be surprised. I mean, I, I could be in a company for, for six hours before I have somebody come up and be like, Hey, do you know about so-and-so? I mean, they, they, they made this mistake and they made this mistake and, and they're just bringing this. I'm like, uh, I got to watch out for that person. <laughs> but you know, it's, I have, you know, business is the same in some regards, regardless of what industry it is, because you can't take the human element out of it. And people are the same. And I've dealt with so many different personality types that sometimes, unfortunately, when I meet somebody brand new in a new industry, I'm like, man, that person reminds me of this other person I had to deal with. And this is, this is what, this is how it ended up. This is what they were good at. This is what they're bad. You know, people are people. It doesn't matter whether you're selling shoes or you're selling cars. People are people. Uh, and anytime I hear about anybody selling shoes, I just think of Al Bundy. I want to be real clear about that. I don't, I'm pretty sure Al Bundy is probably not, he's probably not, uh, uh, you know, PG at this point, but no, that's all I think of when I think of shoe sales. Yeah. Well, I, I use, I use shoe sales. I use shoe salesmen because right out of college, I was building custom homes here in Nashville, Tennessee. And the owner of the company came and toured my neighborhood and told me that I should be a shoe salesman because I didn't know how to build houses. <laughs> and that, and that awesome. one stuck, that one stuck with me. So I always use shoe salesman as an example. <laughs> oh, thanks boss. Yes. Hey, you know what? It got me motivated. I'll tell you that. So one other aspect that we haven't talked about yet, has it ever come up in your MA process or your due diligence? Yes. Yeah. We're, yeah, where do I start with that? Um, you know, I think, <laughs> you know, sometimes people's technology exists on spreadsheets. Their whole company is on a spreadsheet. And, you know, one of the opportunities for us to grow the company is that a lot of times you need to invest in marketing, you need to invest in technology. And a lot of times owners, were, you know, pause and say, I don't necessarily know that I want to invest in this because they don't see that that has an immediate return on their investment. 
if I spend X amount of dollars on technology, that's not going to bring me more jobs. If I spend X amount of dollar, dollars on, you know, bringing my office to the 21st century, <laughs> they, they don't necessarily think that's going to have just a huge impact. And so in the, the four companies that we've bought so far, I've had a, a variety of different situations that we've run into. And you mentioned about me making mistakes. Part of it, which is that my tech company that I sub out all my tech, they come in and help me do my due diligence. I sit there and say, man, I need you to, you know, you're going to get my business, but I need to know, I don't want to come in and immediately, which I've done before, had to replace half the computers and the phones and the server because I didn't really, I'm not a tech guy. So I didn't walk in and immediately go to the, you know, the uh, server closet and say, let me look at all this. You know, I was more like looking at the financials, not looking at, you know, what emails, you know, protocols they had and, you know, what type of security they had. But now that we've gotten into that, I have a tech company that comes in and assesses that and says, man, what do I got to do to, to invest in this? And, and how do I get this company from spreadsheets to a software? How do I get them to stop doing some of the stuff by hand or manual entry? Let's, you know, I've, I've we've had to update uh, the accounting system. We've had to update our phone systems, computers, getting on a, a, a I guess, a, a process to make sure that we're not, you know, using computers that are still running off Windows 94. Uh, I mean, it's happened. <laughs> so that's on the IT side. Do you have any bad experiences from the cybersecurity side? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, uh, you know, when I was first getting started, I knew about cybersecurity. I knew that cybersecurity was a threat. Like I knew that computers could get viruses and there's bad people out there. It hit close to home for the first time when it actually happened to two of my friends that own businesses, just like me. One guy owned an HVAC company and he came in and he got hit with ransomware and he, he showed up to the office and his computer, there was just a ransom note on the screen of all of his computer. He couldn't reach out to his clients. He couldn't do, access any of his information. He was just dead in the water. And they wanted like $100,000 wired to somewhere overseas. And I remember talking to him and I was like, oh my gosh, like that just as easily could have been me. And, it, and you know, that scared me. So I decided to take, at the time I was running off QuickBooks, off my computer at my home, you know, which is just off of a, you know, random, you know, server, I mean, random <laughs> network switch, I guess, with a, a simple you know, password code that, you know, half my friends knew. And uh, so I, I basically got a remote desktop. I had all of my QuickBooks data in a remote desktop server somewhere in California. And I thought, okay, I'm protected because all my stuff's over there. Well, they this got was, hit. Wait, this was a third-party company. This wasn't you. Yes. This was a third-party company. Okay. Yeah, it, it was funny and making it worse. I went to QuickBooks and I said, "Who do you know? Who do you recommend?" And I think QuickBooks even today has a list of ten or fifteen remote servers that are approved to handle their software. And I chose one of those. I'm not going to name, name the name. It's in California, like all of them are, right? And uh, they got hit to where all of a sudden I couldn't log. Like they, they somehow they got hit and it scrambled all their data. And I remember like I was trying to make payroll. I couldn't, I couldn't log in. And I was calling them every day, and they had the same. I'm so sorry. We're working on it. We're trying to get you back up. 
And I had to uh, cut payroll checks by hand and guess using a calculator how much taxes need to be taken out. But I was I lost access to my QuickBooks data for, for a good week. And I thought I was doing the right thing by subbing it out. You know, as soon as uh, they got it back up again and apologized and said they were going to lower the rates by 10% for the next year, I, I went ahead and just pulled my business from them, as I, I'm sure everybody else did. I don't even know if they're around anymore because <laughs> everybody was so mad. And I that was about the time where I reached out to a tech company and said, I need some help. I need to, you know, get this stuff secured. I don't want it stored locally. I need it. I need redundant backups. And I need to make sure we don't that I can prevent some of this from happening because I didn't want to be locked out or lose access to my digital operations um, for more than a week. And it's already, you know, and that was what I was afraid of. Well, I wish say- we could bottle that feeling and like, <laughs> sit, like you know, we talk to a company and like, we're like, this is really important. Like this is, in, but if they don't feel that way, it's, it's a, it's a very different conversation. I wish we could bottle your emotion right there and just say, okay, have a sip of this. And then maybe you'll have a different feeling about it. Or, or spray it, <laughs> spray it at them yes. like perfume. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say to the people that are out there that, don't think about cybersecurity. Obviously you had to go through an experience and uh-huh. you went, Oh shit. Right. I mean, I talk about it in presentations as a, a BPM, a butt puckering moment. What would you say to the people that maybe are less than serious about actually investing? We'll call it investing right. Uh, into uh-huh. cybersecurity. What would you say to those people, especially in, in the industry, right? I mean, construction, is behind what would you say to those people since you've gone through that experience well you know at you know as you scale in a company there's there's a law of scale that says this as you grow your company and scale your company your greatest strengths actually become liabilities meaning the things that you're good at will actually be liabilities and what holds you from growing any further. And in most companies that that's the case with me, it's going to be the case with you. We're going to fight that. Like we all have some natural things that we're great at, but you know, call it the law of the lid that at some point in time, we're going to be what's holding back the company. And, and in these companies that I have looked at buying and the companies I've even run myself, you know, a lot of times we're, we, we don't embrace change mainly because change often revolves around me stepping into something or letting something occur that I'm not an expert at, that I don't know. And you, when you say it's bad in the construction industry, it's because construction owners and people in construction are notorious for not being like one of the early adopters in technology. And so <laughs> it's is quite the understatement. <laughs> yeah. So, so what that means is that, you know, if you got somebody that is resisting to making investments, say in cybersecurity, it's because they don't understand it. And what we don't know scares us. And maybe that owner is thinking, well, I've got to be, I've got to know enough about this to know if it's a good decision to make, or I have to know enough about this to make sure that I'm the expert in my company. And so that change and fear is what's holding. And you can add this to any realm, not just just marketing technology. Uh, Just, you know, at some point in time, we used to market with yellow pages. And and there was probably a lot of people that are still marketing yellow pages because they they are holding on to it because the Internet scares them. I don't want to get on there. And I'm going to put a piece of tape over my uh, camera on my computer because they're watching me, (laughs) you know. 
you know, these owners and people that are scared, you got to recognize that they're at the root of it is because they don't know about it. They don't know enough about it. And that's what scares them, really. So how you go about freaking them out? I mean, I think you got to sit there and probably relate some experiences in cybersecurity that they've had in their own life and how it was necessary for them for them to change. Because right now, that's the last place they want to spend money. They haven't, they've been fortunate enough to not be hit. So it hasn't cost them any money yet. So now you're really telling them about something that could happen, but they don't know if it will. And they're probably the ones that think they have to execute this and drive it and get this thing delivered. You'd shared with us a story in, uh, in the pre-interview kind of uh, saving, saving on trucks. Um, yes. I'd asked, so I'd asked you, did you always have this, and I guess I'll ask you now, uh, did you always have the view of cybersecurity was important? No. And, and, I, and I used the example, I forgot, you know, thank you for bringing that up. You know, I used to be save money on used trucks. I was like a, I grew up, my dad was like, don't buy new anything ever. And so I kind of like <laughs> took that belief into my business to where it's like, man, I want to buy the best. I want to get the best deal possible to buy this truck and it's going to be, it's, it's much cheaper than buying brand new. It's, it's like, it's like half of its age is up. And so all of a sudden, as you grow, you have a whole fleet of these things, right? Used equipment, used trucks, you name it. And then all of a sudden you realize you got to start hiring a mechanic, you know, to fix all these things as they break down and your repair and maintenance bills go up, 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 up. And you're spending just tons of money. And at some point in time, I was like, well, good, good grief. What do I, how do I make my money? I make my money by doing this, this X, and it's different for every company. But the time it's like, hey, I make my money by moving dirt, not by <laughs> fix, you know, keeping a, you know, doing repair and, and auto body work. So why don't I spend my money as much as I can so I can focus my time on how I make money and stop trying to worry about, you know, repairs and maintenance. So I, I we started shifting and in all the companies now we buy new trucks. Because what does it cost you when the truck's dead? You know, you get that phone call at eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, my truck's on the side of the road. It won't start. Well, now I'm spending energy and effort trying to get that truck repaired. That person's not making any money. And you realize that the cost of being down is much, much worse than, than the cost of it would have been just to have something a little bit newer, a little bit nicer that wasn't going to be susceptible to that. So when it comes to cybersecurity, I mean, what, you know, it's like, what is it going to cost you when you, you send $150,000 to the wrong vendor? What is it going to cost you on cybersecurity when your computer system is down, you know, for a week? You know, what is What if you had, you know, what is that going to cost you um, is, is the bigger issue. And, and some of these things can be detrimental, like, you know, business ending things that, that can occur. And so it, I think a, an ounce of prevention goes a long way. And in some ways, you know, you, you get an IT professional and you say, hey, go ahead. You tell me. And I know it's like asking a barber if you need a haircut, but, but get, the, get the IT guy in there and say, man, man, what am I exposed to? Do I have any can, can anybody hack me? Can anybody get into my email? Can I have this happen? Can I have this happen? And, and, and what's it going to cost to I don't want the, the full money. I don't want to be driving a Cadillac. Let's just go ahead and start somewhere and get me off a horse and buggy. And you'd be surprised a lot of times that just getting started, it, you know, you realize you don't even recognize those expenses because it's not like it's going to break the bank. But but it's something you got to start doing 
step by step. It's actually very eye opening, right? When you compare it to like truck, because at the end of the day, it's a, you know client experience. If your truck breaks down and your guy can't get to the site, and then it delays the project, or they don't get that mm-hmm. job done, this person took it. Depending on what it is, they took the day off yeah. work. Now that you are, you can't make it, or you make it yeah. five hours late, or what you know, that has a puts a bad taste in your mouth. So sure, yeah. maybe you lose money, like actual dollars on that day's project, the the yeah. amount to to make the maintenance on the truck. But separate from that, you lose the trust and the client love for you, which is way more expensive. Like that's the yeah. much more expensive. So cyber, like you said, like you you were down for a week. Yeah. That means a week of projects. Like, what does that do to your reputation, which creates, <laughs> like, Will often will say, like, cybersecurity, you should be investing in cybersecurity because it's a business uh, or it's a it's an advantage, right? It's a competitive advantage against your competitors. Like, it is definitively that because if we're the people that always show up, if we're the people that can always get docs done or things done, and we're always that, that's who you are as a company. And it's way more than, oh, I invested in technology or I invested. What was funny is, too, is, is is part of the reason why I did it, too, not just was fear, it was, it was also part of my delegation. Yeah. Because I was the IT department at my company. Why? Yeah. Because I happened to be probably the most IT proficient person in the company. So I would say, say those you know owners sometimes, like, you already have an IT department. They're just unpaid and unskilled. They just happen to be the best of the lot, which means when somebody's you know, computer is on the glitch or their phone's not working. They're going to somebody in your office or somebody in your company and they're a the, the de facto person. Now for me, that was me. And there was two things that was occurring. Number one, I was, was spending way too much time helping people, you know, reset their password because they couldn't, they, they forgot their password yep. or they had any type of software technology issue. I was spending time doing that instead of growing my business. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was delegation. The other thing is the fact that I was in charge of our IT security should scare anybody. <laughs> I have no business doing that job. So when I was interviewing and brought my IT company on, uh, Copper Band Technologies, who we use, I was like, when he, when I was talking to him, I was like, oh my gosh, you're a professional. You know all this stuff. Oh my gosh. And then there was just this burden, like, thank God. I don't have to worry about this. I'm going to pay somebody else that this is what they eat, breathe, and sleep. And it's something I don't worry about. And what the beautiful thing is now is that every one of my companies using the same people. They got them on dial. It's emailed. It's like it's just being handled. And I feel like at this point we've dodged recently being hit by anything. And it could still happen again. And I'm not, I guess, immune to that. But it's just something that maybe it makes you sleep a little bit easier at night, knowing that you've got some professional or somebody that knows a whole lot more than you do that's in charge of it. And it, and it doesn't cost me anything. From my, it gives me peace of mind, and I don't have to worry about it. And so I guess to answer your question, it's to these owners is, man, wouldn't it be great to like not worry about it and let somebody that's that can geek out on this stuff and try to stay one step ahead of the, the bad guys that are out there? That's like saying I should be the city planner because I played Sims when I was a kid. Like it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I've never I forgot ever, about that game. I've never ever planned a city or like any yeah. structural engineering or architecture. But 
I played a video game once that put compared to the rest of my company, I am the most qualified to do it. Like that does that's like when people say, like, oh, I do IT. And it's like, oh, are you qualified to do it? No, I just know how to change a password. So therefore yeah. I, I am now the IT guy of my company. So yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Uh I think hey man, this has been a fun conversation. I Will, are we are we ready to to close this bad boy out? Yeah, let's do it. Do you want to do the honors? The last sure, question? Sure, sure, sure. So last question, uh, John, uh, and you listen to our podcast, so we're, we're fairly confident uh, you know what's coming. But uh, if you could go back 20 years, John, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself that there isn't just one single way to experience success. Unfo- you know, when I was growing up, I was looking at a lot of people that I was thought was successful And in my mind, I thought, well, I have to do this, this, and this just like them to be successful. And then I got to a certain point, and then all of a sudden I noticed somebody else, and I was like, well, hold a second. I got to do – they're successful, and I got to do this, this, and this. Now, for every person out there that sits there and says you got to be patient and stay the course and never quit and never give up, and that's how they got success, there's another person on the other side that said quit the moment you don't feel it. You got to be impatient. You know, you're going to strike gold. And so I think I spent a lot of time really focusing too much on what other people were doing and kept pivoting until at some point in time, I realized that, you know, there isn't there's my way of success might come at a different pace, at a different rate and even a different endpoint. But, you know, stop comparing yourself. And I think I spent too much of my life. You said 20 years ago. And I still struggle with it, man. I, I still look at what other people are doing sometimes and think, man, they got a good gig. I should be doing that. Well, thank That's you for sharing that. Answer. That's a wonderful answer. Well, I enjoyed it too, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you Absolutely. for having me on. We're going to throw all of uh, your uh, or your uh, contact information and all that stuff in the show notes, your social, all that stuff. If people wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way they can do that, John? Uh, you know, they can shoot me an email, uh, J-O-N, John, at onefreedom.com. That's O-N-E, freedom.com. Or go to my website, onefreedom.com. A lot, a lot of ways to get in touch with me there. You guys, uh, if anybody in your audience knows anybody that's wanting to sell or want to have a discussion about how they can prepare their company to sell even, I'd love to, to have that opportunity to, to talk with them. Awesome, 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 awesome. Well, there you uh, have well, it. Yeah, thank you so much for your time today, John. We really appreciate it. And for the listeners, until next time, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to Building Scale. To help us reach even more people, please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or on social media. Remember, the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep, keep building, building scale. scale. <laughs>